The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect that of the Up Together organization. I'm Candy Marie. And I'm Mena Diaz. And welcome to the Moving Up Together podcast. Today's episode is going to focus on gentrification and racial wealth gap, the connection between race and poverty in America, and how that affects our communities. Now, our guest today is Maxica Williams. And I'm going to let Mena take it away. Well, we can't talk about the racial wealth gap without talking about gentrification, right? So joining us today, again, Maxica Williams. Can you tell us one fun fact about yourself? Um, One fun fact, um, I'm an Aries. You know, we're a ball of fun. (laughs) Fire, literally. (laughs) All right, so... We know that you were born and raised in Chicago. So can you tell us a little bit about your family and the neighborhood where you grew up in? I'm Maxica Williams. I'm 44 years old. I'm the mother of three children. I am my mother's sixth child and my dad's eighth child. My dad has uh, 10 kids, seven boys and three girls. My mom has five boys and three girls. Um, and we grew up in an interesting household of lots of people, lots of attitudes, lots of everything um, running around. <laughs> it was a lot. It was chaotic. Um, we grew up in uh, mostly on the west side of Chicago. Uh, we I spent a great deal of my life on the west side. And then we eventually moved um, to 15th and Wabash, uh, which is near Dearborn Park, um, south the South Loop. And we lived there for about five or six years. And then we, my parents uh, moved us on the north side of Chicago. And that's where we were until my parents uh, from like 1993 to 2000, January 2005, when my parents retired to Wisconsin. So we spent a great deal up north in a community called Edgewater. It's at the end of Lakeshore Drive on the north side. So we've been in a lot of different communities <laughs> throughout the city of Chicago. And they all had their own good vantage point. We were always, um, back in the day when I was coming up, we were able to walk around. There wasn't as much gun violence and shooting. Um, even when we lived out west, it was a little bit, but it wasn't as bad and hectic and chaotic as it is now. Um, it was calmer times, um, and I guess because of the generation I came up in, but it's nothing like what it is today. And now I have a different vantage point and view of what Chicago is because I've seen what it was, what it's become now. And it's always still been a beautiful city. I've lived in other places and I still love Chicago. It was always my home and I I long to always be here as opposed to other places. I've lived in Indiana and Wisconsin and they don't compare anything to Chicago. And I love that pride. I, I think that we can all hear that radiating through your voice right now. And that's what we love about Chicago. We also love the black culture that radiates from Chicago. Now we did some digging. Actually, we didn't really have to do too much digging because the Obamas, now they lived in Kenwood and so did Muhammad Ali and blues musician Muddy Waters. And even the very first black woman elected to the US Senate, Mrs. Carol Mosley Ron, come out of Chicago and that's just not to brag, but you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of history. And again, like I said, a lot of pride that hails from the city and felt that pride from you just now. But we also know like any community, many of the people who have made the greatest contribution aren't always widely known by the general public, right? But right. they should be. So who are some of the people that you saw 
or associate who are making Kenwood proud? Um, those individuals would be um, the Reverend Willie Wilson, Dr. Willie Wilson. He's giving back to the community here in the city of Chicago um, in a tremendous way. And because um, I'm telling you, I was at Wits End. He gives out gas vouchers. When I know I got to go get my kids and take them to school, pick them up and make it to my doctor's appointment because I'm a stage three cancer survivor. But I do need to have my check-ins um, every three to six months. And it's important for me to have that gas. And he's made a way for us. Um, a little goes a long way. Um, I would say a lot of the aldermen and older women, um, they've been supporting and holding down um, the different communities like Woodlawn, Kenwood, um, Bronzeville, and making sure there's reinvestment there um, and more affordable housing place there. So the, the communities where there was a, I call it a drought, um, the buildings were sold and marked with excess to be destroyed and now they're vacant lots. They're taking those vacant lots and making them back into homes that people can live in and um, in a you know in a decent community. Um, it's not so much violence in Bronzeville. Um, it's there is violence, but not as much gun violence here in Bronzeville, Woodlawn, and Kenwood. Those are closer communities to the High Park area, so mm -hmm. it's not as bad there. Um, and there's not a lot here because there are a lot of uh, in Woodlawn. There's a lot of vacant lots and a lot of abandoned buildings still. So there's not a lot of people living within the communities. A great number of people have moved and migrated from Chicago to other cities, unfortunately. Now, just listening to you, it sounds like you took a lot of pride and value in your community. Again, you saw the value. Yes. And unfortunately, you know, it feels as if gentrification, like when we really like break down the word and what it means, something more refined, polite, respectable you know, giving it value. So with that being said, when you think about that and you think about your community, what is your community like today? And how does that make you feel? Do you feel like your community has those things that the definition, you know, so clearly states? Um, yes, I would definitely say um, Woodlawn is the epitome of gentrification. It was a community that was forgotten about. Um, and it's been, we have, um, wars here, shall I say, or big arguments over the boundaries in the different communities and for um, the older persons to be able to, you know, to vote and get constituents. And when they do those uh, war remappings, we get forgotten about in the Woodlawn and Inglewood community. Um, like I said, and it be, and, well, I'm going to say it, there's a big dis disinvestment here and it's led us to the abandoned buildings and the big lots. It's a beautiful community and we're friendly and we're loving. We have at the end of my block, there's a community garden where you can go every Friday and get fresh fruits, vegetables, eggs, and different things that you need. And it's right here in the community because we have a food desert. And that's what my community is. My community is about growth. It's about giving. It's about being there for each other while we're all down and out, not just because of COVID. This, this, garden is going to be here. It's been here for years. And um, it's one of the local community grow com uh, communities here in Chicago. There's rarity within the city and they put a lot of work and 
love into it and they give it back right back to the community you don't have to pay anything you just show up with your grocery bag on friday between 12 and 4 and you can get groceries and different things that you need that's what community is to me and that's the beauty i see in chicago and the beauty in woodlawn i don't just see those vacant lots i see that one day it's going to be a townhouse for that family that's on 55th and Garfield, homeless, living under the viaduct. They're gonna have a home just like I've been homeless before. So I know the plight myself and my children of what it feels like to be homeless, to have barriers and to have stigmas placed on you. But to be here within Woodlawn and to have finally have a key and to be living in a, a six bedroom, two bath home, even though we're renting, it's better than not having anything and from where we came from and from where I came from as a child as well. And it's, I just feel like it's a beautiful community. It's um, near all of the bus lines. And like I told you all trains, <laughs> I'm in between two. line <laughs> <laughs> And um, the Metro, we're right here in the midst of it. So if I get cut off, I apologize ahead of time. It's because when it's rush hour like this, and it's two trains on both lines, it kicks the Wi-Fi out in the community. That's one of the downfalls. But it is beautiful to see both trains. And when they, um, late at night, like now, if you go out there and look at it, you see the little sparks on the tracks. And it just looks like something from a movie to me. Because I've seen mm -hmm. um, the trains uh, photographed in movies and the way it looks so different and unique. And I think that's another part of the aspect of Chicago and Woodlawn uh, when it causes when you go back to the definition of gentrification, there is beauty here. There was beauty before the gentrification, and there's even more beauty now. Um, and it has more um, highlights, like what they upgraded um, so on the, in the Washington Park over on King Drive. They have um, the different monuments there. They've added different things in the park for the kids. They put in another pool um, a few years back for the kids to come and get in the pool. That's the beauty of this community. Um, and we also have a great older woman, um, Jeanette Taylor. She's really good and she's about the community. She comes out, she sees us, she talks to us just like, you know, your family to her. If you have ever have a need or issue, you can get on the constituent older woman's day. These are the things that are beautiful about the city of Chicago and the area and community of Woodlawn where I live. I felt that, that was felt. That was felt, and I'm, I'm sure that everyone listening to this right now will feel the same way because there is value and there is beauty within each other, and we build our own community. We make it what it is, that history, you know, that culture. Just hearing you describe the trains, that gives our community character, you know? So thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. No problem. That is the most Chicago thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Like, you hear the trains. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm in the middle of two. <laughs> that reminds me of a lot of our, our black neighborhoods are usually by the, you know, train tracks. You know, I think about where I'm from, you know, I live by train tracks too. And usually the train tracks are what hides certain parts of town as well. So that makes sense. I feel I feel like that is that is felt by a lot of people that are listening right now. Yes. And then it has its beautiful points as well, not just being just a divide. Like I say, it's we're around a lot of public transportation. A block up is the State Street bus. And on the corner of 59th over here is the 59th Street bus going east and west. So you have access and the ability to get around town. You don't have to go miles and miles away like when you live in other uh, states and towns and cities. 
they don't have transportation like Chicago. We have CTA. And <laughs> believe me, it's running 24-7. Even if you're not running, it's running. That's another beautiful aspect Come on. of living in, in Chicago. <laughs> right. Um, Maxica, you mentioned earlier um, lines. And, and this is important for people to know, especially speaking about this, this particular subject, to housing and zoning and all of that is lines. Lines are very important in a city. Lines can determine property value. Lines can determine a whole bunch of different things. Now, you mentioned earlier um, that they, they switched your uh, voting. Um, district right they basically yes. cut the line you know born and raised in chicago have you seen that a lot in chicago happen where it's like something's about to come up basically and then that district kind of gets relined and then you lose the ability to vote in that particular area for that um development that might be coming because that's the big thing now developments in cities and in areas and rural areas Yes, um, I see the ward mapping as, um, for me, my high side about it, to me, it looks like redlining. <laughs> they draw these little uh, lines in the communities and they say, oh, this on one side, say, well, I'm, I am, I'm in Woodlawn, and then right across the street is Kenwood or Bronzeville. So, therefore, their property is of more value than the property on this side. So, we don't get as much here. We don't get as much investment in this community. Like I said, it's, it's become a food desert here. Um, we don't have a lot of houses and um, apartment buildings here like we should be in a big city like Chicago. All of those have been torn down. There's lots of vacant lots. And that's where that red line comes in. And when they redo those maps, even for the older persons, is usually, there's a basis off of the maps for this red line. And it's like the lack of disinvestment and saying that the property on this side where Woodlawn is, is not as valuable as the properties on the Kenwood, the Bronzeville, and those regentrified areas that they say are up and coming. Because um, they haven't hit as much up and coming in Woodlawn. It's still a work in progress. That's something that a lot of people can relate to and, and that we hear that it's all a work in progress. But when are pushed out of the communities, where are they supposed to go? What are they supposed to do? And I feel like a lot of those people, a lot of those residents um, are given fewer options to where they're supposed to go um, compared to other counterparts or other neighborhoods. So with that being said, um, in your opinion, how do you think that gentrification financially impacts people in the neighborhoods that are often gentrified? And specifically the people who have always been there and that were able to say, and, and those who have had to leave, how do you feel like financially they're impacted? I feel like um, their life, their livelihood, because some of those um, individuals have been, because when I speak to people in this community, they've been here for generations. Um, mm -hmm. They raised grandkids here. They raised their adult children here. They're raising grandkids now. Or their grandkids are living with them, great-great-grandkids. They get shuffled around and they have their homes taken from them because they, the banks say that their house is only worth 70000 even if they put thirty dollars or $40,000 worth of um, upgrades into it. It's still not worth as much when they go to sell it off when, when you're dealing with that regentrification and redlining. Um, their, their homes are not as much as those right across the street from them because it's on the Bronzeville side as opposed to the Woodlawn. Mm-hmm. 
and they they get moved around. They don't get something once they do start building the communities here again, um, and put in a low income. They don't get something called the right to return. Um, like when they shut down and closed down and knocked all of the projects down, they gave all of the people the ability to get a Section 8 voucher and they gave them like $5,000 per family or something like that, um, different amounts depending on your family size. Um, to move them out? To move them out of the projects to different areas and communities. But they gave, they didn't tell them what the paper they were signing was signing their rights away um, for, them, nope. for them not to be able to come back. Um, and now, um, because there were some court cases about that, and they had to reverse some of those signatures and let some of the people, because there are those people who didn't, thousands of people who did not sign that paper, and they did receive the right to return. So they get shut out of the community, and then less funding comes in the community that brings the community down even lower. It, it adds on to the food deserts. And then they, because this community here in Woodline, we had four of the CPS, the Chicago Public School System, that closed their CPS schools in this community. They were closed, two high schools and two grammar schools and um, a middle school. Um, it was like mixed uh, from, it was like an alternative high school and, and grammar school all in one. They were mm -hmm. all closed. It's like five buildings in just this vicinity where I live were closed. Mm. Mm -mm. And so many people from this community moved out of Chicago to other cities and states. Because they didn't have a choice, right? Right. They didn't have a choice. They didn't have anywhere to live. And then what the money that they received in this day and age, $70,000 wasn't enough to go buy a new home. It wasn't enough to go start over. It was barely enough to pay rent somewhere. Right. And that's a hard pill to swallow to go from owning to renting. What? That's a blow to your pride. You know, because we talk yes. about pride a lot, especially in our communities, because we have to find that pride. Because often, you know, our communities are made to feel like they're undervalued. And a lot of times they're underappraised. But then they, they're gentrified. You know, you have other people coming from other communities and they're taking over these communities and they're getting, quote unquote, good rates and good prices. And... It's like, where was the value when we lived here? Why didn't you see the value then? But the value is seen now, you know? Makes you feel like you're worthless. Right. That's that's the hard pill to swallow. Yeah, it's a hard pill. And it's, and it's not fair. It's not right. And to play devil's advocate, there's some people that would say gentrification without using it in, as in gentrification, just the... Um, building up of a community, the cleaning it up part, the, this, it increases property values, um, you know, uh, crime rates go lower, you know, so on and so forth. What would you say to people who have that argument that would sit there and, and say that to you? It's like, oh, well, you know, the crime rate is lower and, you know, we have more things and new businesses are coming. What would you say to a person who's, who said that to you trying to make an argument? Um, I would just tell them with that kind of bias that you had to live within the community and know that it had that value before you even came here and before you regentrified, before you decided to um, build new buildings in the community. There was beauty here. There was love. There was trust. There was loyalty within this community. And that's going to be there no matter what you do or the next person. It wasn't that the community didn't have beauty. It didn't have loyalty or trust. It was that they didn't have investment to continue to grow and prosper in the right way. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Even just thinking about, you know, my community and where I come from too, 
it's the same thing. A lot of our communities are the same, you know, uh, across the country. You know, we just, you know, we might look differently, but a lot of us can relate to that. Where someone else may not see the value, what you see, like you said, is you see value and you see love and you see family, you know, you see a sense of community. Um, so thank you for, for, for being so open and sharing that. Uh, do you have any final thoughts that you want to leave with our listeners? Um, yes, just that because a community is forgotten about doesn't mean that it's not a rare gem. It's still going to be that rare gem even once it's regentrified and that more value is added to it because it was always beautiful. It was always that gem and that shining star. Um, and never lose hope and faith that you can't you can have stability and the things that you need in your community just look around there's a lot of love and care there and it starts with you and within you to give it to others you know just a little bit can go a long way i agree a little bit can definitely go a long way and one more question i want to ask you is you know sometimes we have to pull strength from places that we don't always have right especially when things are happening and we feel like we don't have control where do you pull your strength from? I pull my strength from a strong foundation, even though I used to fight my mother on it when we were coming up. Um, my mother is sanctified. She doesn't wear pants. Um, she kept us in church basically six days a week. <laughs> um, and if she wasn't in church, she was at work um, taking care of us and my dad. And they had a strong foundation of God for us. Um, I didn't understand it. I didn't get it then. But it's helped me through stage three, fighting stage three breast cancer. And being here and able and having the opportunity to speak to you all today and not being dead and not giving up. My faith and the fact that I know that God's walking with me and my babies every step of the way, holding our hands and guiding us in the right direction, that keeps me strong and grounded. And it lets me share that with others in the community so that they can be strong and have something to believe in a hope you know that you know something is going to be better there's a there's a light at the end of the tunnel there's something's better coming from them just like it came to me just as long as they still keep faith and keep god first and know that he's going to be there for them i love that thank you so much so at the end of our podcast we like to play a little game that we call free game segment. Oh, it's a free game. So basically you're giving out free game to these um, higher ups that may or may not be listening. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could give free game to any of uh, your city officials, your governor, um, or you know anybody that leads any organizations in your city and in your community, what would you tell them they can improve on? Um, they can do better or they can listen to what, what information would you give them um, or advice would you give them to better serve your community? I would say um, more guaranteed income um, programs, not just pilots, um, but permanent um, for those low income poverty level families um, to help them get ahead and to be able to pay bills and actually take care of their children the way they would like to take care of them. Um, more investment in schools and equity within the schools and the education, the teachers, the prop, you know, those teachers licensed to teach their students um, and more access within the schools to some of the things that we learned because it bothers me. My kids weren't taught to write in cursive, as I was speaking to you about earlier. Um, it bothers me that the children don't utilize the libraries like they're supposed to because 
there's no library in there. Everything is online. Everything is technology. And when that system broke down, those kids didn't know what to do with the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> um, and I would say more investment and access into technology. When COVID hit, so many of our poverty-stricken families did not have that access like we had to Wi-Fi, um, mobile hotspots, um, tablets, and computers. And they didn't even know how to use them. And I'll be first. I'm one of them. I went back to school in 2014. God bless me to go back then because I would have been lost technology-wise when everything flipped from in-person to online to a Zoom to Google Teams, Google Meets. They have to have training, um, more investment into those classes, into technology and getting everybody up to their parts so that um, our older generations, because it bothered me, they couldn't do health appointments or telehealth appointments because they didn't know how. They didn't know how to access it. Donald, I can tell you, I've registered over 50 of my seniors in my community to get on a telehealth appointment and they knew nothing about it. And there's, that should not be happening in any community. Um, and investing in some of the faith-based organizations um, because they are our pillars and our support in our communities, our churches. They are our food pantries. They're, um, you go to the pastor for social help, you know, when issues and problems in your family and turmoils. Um, you go to the church for prayer. You go to the church for so many different things. And so invest in those things because that's what's keeping these communities together, those those specific networks. And I would ask for the government to increase the city and state budgets and a lot more money for um, affordable housing and housing that are not of the HUD standard definition of homelessness, which would be doubled up. Uh, we have our unaccompanied minors who don't have a lot of funding in the budget for them. Um, investing and giving some and raising those funds, especially now while we have all this COVID money going around. You know, this is money that can be utilized in so many different ways. It doesn't have constraints on it. Put back and invest into our communities. Get and make it whereby we don't have a food desert. You know, we have a Walmart. We have grocery stores, um, big name grocery stores in our communities, helping us to have nourishing food those different things like that. I would ask for our politicians and our, from the federal to the uh, state to the city to invest more, to put more funds out there because we desperately need them. And this guy gave us this opportunity. COVID might've taken a lot of lives and might've put disarray and had us all over the place, but it gave us a lot of financial funding to secure and to reinvest in our communities that were forgotten about. We want to thank you again for your transparency, your openness, your realness, and also for your heart, because it was felt. And I know we said that a few times. It was felt. We felt your pride. We felt the value that you see in your community. And we're hoping that every single person that's listening to this podcast, to this episode, will also feel that value and sense of pride within their communities as well. We want to thank you for your time. We want to thank you for being here. And we want to, um, you know, just continue to encourage every single person that's listening to this podcast, you know, to get involved in their communities, to speak up, take action, and let your voices be heard. So again, we thank you for letting your voice be heard today. Um, Mena, is there anything else you want to add? I How think you, you said it all. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. 
Thank you again so much. We appreciate your time. And we thank you guys for listening to the Moving Up Together podcast. And thank you all for having me. You ladies have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you so much. Moving Up Together was created by the national nonprofit Up Together and produced by Creative Differences. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast.